The didgeridoo means it's time for the Australian News Desk. Here's two of the craziest guys we could find south of the equator. It's Steve Vischer and Grant McHaren from the Plain Crazy Down Under podcast. Dateline, January 1st, 2013. Well, oh. <laughs> well, g'day folks and welcome back to the Australia Desk for episode 229 and happy new year to everybody and uh, happy new year to you, McKerran. Jeez, you sound a little under the weather this morning, mate. Oh, I can't believe you dragged me out of my coffin on New Year's Day for this, mate. <laughs> <laughs> new Year's Day at 10 past three in the afternoon, I might just point out, dear listeners. Oh, it's so early, dude. It's so early. <laughs> well, mate, I'm feeling a little under under the weather myself. You know, I had two, count them, two light beers before midnight last night. Whew. Oh, boy. Mate, mate. Boy, you went little, hardcore. I'm feeling a little surly. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. Jeez, man, that's 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 really hardcore for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was. But I celebrated New Year's by having a coffee. Yeah, that um, that was pretty hardcore. If you celebrated the New Year with a coffee to keep you awake for another half hour, that's exactly right. Well, given that this is a bits and pieces episode, and uh, given that we've already had that uh, really cool interview there with that F thirty five pilot, we thought uh, rather than uh, do some news and the usual stuff, uh, we might just replay a uh, cut down version of an interview that we did recently with uh, one of Australia's uh, former F A eighteen Hornet pilots. Uh, now retired and uh, boy Grant uh, he offered some uh, really interesting uh, insights on uh, various subjects during that interview Oh, it was a great chat mate one of our best we've had for a while a uh, very interesting fellow a lot of fun to catch up with and uh, really enjoyed chatting with him on a huge range of topics not just the the book that uh, he's recently put out but uh, also a lot of other other issues related to uh, being a pilot in the RAF and um, the military and how it interacts and so on and uh, there's two of the really good topic areas uh, in this little Exit. And of course, we're talking about Mac Serge Tucker. And uh, on the other side of this interview, we'll talk a little bit about his book and uh, where you can find the full episode. Well, if you talk about uh, professional development amongst the fighter pilot community and uh, talking about US forces, we've we've spoken over the years. And in fact, uh, there was a highlight in Australian Aviation Magazine uh, just this month, actually, about our pilots going across and flying the F-22 Raptor. How important is that in your mind, flying over there on exchange over in, in the US with their forces and particularly with such a high-tech aircraft in terms of our Air Force today? I think it's essential, Steve. In fact, um, the previous guy was an old student of mine and, um, you know, the, the wealth of knowledge that they bring back. Now, whilst we have the F-18 and, and we now have the Super Hornet and they're not F-22s, um, a lot of the advanced tactics and technologies and things that those guys come back with is the sort of stuff I was just talking to about how the, the Americans have a lot of technology mm. and they have a high level of technical knowledge. And so they bring that back um, to our fighter force and we start to incorporate that knowledge in the tactics in our development and um, is absolutely essential to keep Australia at the cutting edge, uh, even though we may not have the most uh, capable fighters on the planet, you know, compared a Super Hornet. It's very good, but compared to an F-22, it's a phase in insignificance. Uh, it's that knowledge of that high-end stuff that allows those Super Hornets to be employed well above Super Hornet capability. And when yep. we have the, uh, you know, obviously the F-35 is still on the cards, I guess um, that's the ultimate goal when I mean, the F-22 is not coming here, so it has to be the F-35 in the future. Sadly for Australia, I think, is my opinion. But um, <laughs> I, I'm not a big fan of the um, the JSF, and I do that uh, purely for kinematics. And, uh, you know, if you go right back to the uh, BE-2 and the Sopwith Camel, everything that we've ever had in the Air Force, and you plot a kinematic 
um, plot of those about you know, how tight they can turn, their radius, uh, their speed to height, uh, P sub S, all the things that are important to fighter flying. You'll see a constant line of advance as we went from box kite to monocoque construction to jet power to forward firing ordnance to radar guided ordnance, you know, at longer missiles. And the whole time there's a truth in warfare that the long sword beats the short sword or the longbow beats the short bow. And in fighter flying, the longbow and the long sword is about kinematics how fast you can get your machine to launch that missile or that bomb. And with the JSF, we've taken, we've actually gone backwards from the current F-18. It yeah. cannot get to the speeds uh, that the F-18 can to deliver a long weapon. So it has stealth, and that's a great capability. But if it is compromised, the stealth, you then rely on kinematics, and it's not going to go well in kinematics. It's the same physical length as an F-16. It's the same wingspan as an F-16, but now I want you to go three times the fuel capacity, add some internal bomb bays, and you've got a flying guppy. And that's why yeah. it's just it's a basic physical equation why I'm not a fan of the JSF. Now, we're signed up to it. I know the Aussies do the best job to incorporate it and, and make it a great capability. But if it ever came to a slinging match between a high-performance aggressor that could climb higher, shoot longer, shoot faster, and our stealth capability was compromised, it would be a really bad fight to be in. Yeah, there are indications that stealth capability has been compromised in some ways. So it's not guaranteed proven, but it's it's going around that uh, the Russians and the Chinese have got radars that will bypass that stealth, apparently. Yeah, well, I, I mean, uh, one of the maxims in warfare is that for every counter, there is a counter-counter. So in, in, in IR missiles, for example, the AIM-9 Bravo was first brought out in Vietnam and then they brought out flares to defeat that missile. And then we brought flare rejection technology that could recognise the flares. Then they bring out special flares that can't be rejected. And this, <laughs> yeah. this counter, counter, counter continues on. And that's a, that's a maxim of warfare. Now, to say for the life of the next airframe that Australia buys, which is on average 40 years, we will own the stealth space, I think is a massive oversight on our behalf. And again, what's my basis for saying that is... What brought stealth about was the ability to solve the Maxwell's equations and supercomputers brought that ability about. Well, guess what? We don't own, we're not the only people on the planet with supercomputers anymore. No. In fact, if you look at where computing is developing in the world, it's all developing in Asia. Uh, and, you know, the ability to solve those equations and come up with stealth is no longer our domain. It's a shared domain. So if I have a shared domain, I want to make sure I've got the best kinematic capability. And unfortunately, the JSF, we're going to lose that. I guess a more general saying uh, would go along the lines of uh, the better the mousetrap, the smarter the mice get. Yeah, uh, that's a good one. I think that's applicable. The ability for us to fight in uh, the – I mean, we've had camouflage before, yeah? Mirage had had camouflage on it. You know, we paint the top green, the bottom blue and grey. makes them harder to see. But when you're seen – comes down to how well you can fight, yep. and JSF will not fight well. And that's not classified, and that's just physics. So in a perfect world, if not the F-35, what do we do? Go back to the drawing board, or is there something else that would suit the RAF, do you think? Look, I think the F-22. Um, you know, I think that platform is kinematically is a greater extension from the F-18. Uh, so again, if you come back to that graph from the soft-width camel out to the F-18, you keep that trajectory. It's actually like a J-curve on that thing with its uh, super cruise capability and thrust yeah. vector and things like that. That is a natural progression kinematically. Um, I'm talking platform there. Yep. Um, I don't see that the JSF is an unnatural progression for the uh, Royal Australian Air. In fact, I'd say any Air Force. And in the uh, in the US, it is not their frontline fighter because they have the F-22. For us, it is our frontline fighter, and that's why I don't think it's a good match for our force structure. So, mate, the uh, F-35's got bad kinematics. The F-22 would be wonderful, but uh, they say that the last fighter pilot has already been born and that the next generation of fighter aircraft will be drones. What do you think on that one? I think drones are very useful in an intelligence surveillance reconnaissance sense, and I'm very opposed to arming drones. And the reason for that 
is that it comes back to the fundamentals of warfare in a democracy. In a democracy, what we when we're doing an uh, operational plan, uh, it's generally Australia's centre of gravity in any campaign plan is the electorate. It's the ability for the electorate to support the campaign that we have embarked on. And once the electorate turns against the campaign, the soldiers and the government, which you know we, we saw in Vietnam, the government in a democracy is forced to withdraw. Now, by arming drones, we no longer have an ability for any any hurt to come to our people. So we no longer see the body bags coming home of Australian soldiers. And in a democracy, that's the that's the greatest check uh, for our electorate, is how much pain can our electorate absorb? How much of our national treasure of our daughters and sons can we um, give away for a specific campaign? And when we go arming drones, we can take life as quickly as pressing a button, and we never have the check and balance against the government taking life because we never have a body bag come home. And I believe the natural extension of that is for the government to employ force more readily. Now, we have a defence force in Australia, not an offence force. We have a force that's there for the defence of our country. If we're going to utilise our forces overseas uh, in, you know, expeditionary warfare, then we need that check and balance uh, on the government to employ that force overseas. And if we don't have it, I believe the... The natural thing will be for any government to employ its force. I mean, we see it already with special forces. The reason we send special forces and not regular forces is because there's less body bags coming home when we send special forces, so therefore we'll send them. Well, guess what? When I can, when, If I have an option to, to send force without body bags, I'll just send it every day. I can do it in the shadows. There's no accountability to my electorate. Everything is nationally classified, uh, and uh, I, I can just I can take lives at will without any check and balance from my electorate. Yeah, and that's, that's what's happening over in, in Pakistan and Afghanistan with the drones taking out on the border in the in the hills and all that, and the the drone strikes. Yeah, look, uh, you know, and the other part about that is that when we when we take life, we have we rely on intelligence to take life, and intelligence is not always correct. Yeah, and I don't think I'm saying anything untoward there. I mean, there should be enough information in the public domain now where the intelligence agencies got it wrong. Yep. Um, that we need to be cautious about that. When I put boots on the ground to conduct surveillance, you know, I, I have our own forces there that are, are uh, embedded in the lo- with the local nationals. They see people up close. There's a lot less likelihood of incorrect identification. When I can sit at high altitude away from everything and convince myself of the intelligence that that's the individual, I can shoot it. And well, guess what? It wasn't uh, 20 people carrying IEDs. It was 20 people with pitchforks walking through a farm. And it's a... You know, I, I, look. I think it's I think it's coming home to roost the over reliance on drones. It was sold by industry as a way to save money for governments. But you know, again, the the jury's no longer on that out on that. It's actually cheaper to man platforms and conduct ISR well synchronised with ground forces than it is to to pay for a predator. I mean, the number of people that's required to operate a predator would water your eyes. You know, the number of people are required to operate a Liberty aircraft, which is the American program that operates King Airs, is, you know, four people. And a Predator is just a, a logistics tale that starts in the AO and goes all the way back to America. It's it's very, very long logistics tale and very expensive to operate them. So I'm not a big fan of drones. I think that the um, wool has been pulled over the um, bosses of defence. I think they're starting to see that. I think Australian the Australian bosses are seeing it. What I'm not liking is is some of the commentary that's come out more recently about uh, you know Australia appears to be embarking on the armed drones, um, heading down that pathway. And I'd be I'd be very concerned as an Australian citizen to 
basically give the government a license to take life without any check and balance on the ability to do so. Well, there you go, Grant. He certainly doesn't pull any punches. And uh, interesting there, those thoughts on the F-35. And I guess he's talking there uh, as it pertains to uh, the role that it would play here with the Royal Australian Air Force, which, uh, as he points out there, would be quite different from that, which it will be playing uh, with uh, other military forces, uh, most notably the US. Yeah, that's right, mate. It's going to be our only major fighter. looks like now it's probably going to wind up getting supported by Super Hornets and Growlers. But uh, at the time, especially uh, earlier, it looked like we're going to have just a uh, one major air aircraft on the front line, which would be the F-35. But uh, yeah, that's changing a little. And now we've got the uh, idea being floated around and given a bit more credence that the Growlers will definitely be there and uh, very possibly a a few Super Hornets as well. Absolutely. Now, uh, Surge has released a book. It's called Fighter Pilot, Misadventures Beyond the Sand Barrier with an Australian Top Gun. You can find that uh, at uh, most bookstores. You can find it at Amazon.com, we found. And uh, also it's available as an e-book for an electronic download, which is how I got my copy. Uh, Really interesting entertaining reading and uh, if you uh, particularly for our American listeners uh, it does offer an insight into how the role of an Australian fighter pilot uh, differs uh, in some ways to the way uh, the US military in general works mainly because uh, our military is uh, quite significantly smaller. That's right mate that's right we're a lot smaller and I'm not sure that our uh, fighter pilots are that into the Jeremiah weed. (laughs) That's exactly right I think they've got plenty of substitutes though Grant. Uh, Yeah yeah you read the book and you find out they definitely make up for not having Jeremiah weed. Now as I mentioned that was a uh, cut down version of a uh, rather uh, considerably longer interview if you'd like to have a listen to that and uh, you haven't been across to our show for a while uh, you can find that on our website playingcrazydownunder.com and that's uh, episode number 96 and uh, yeah as Max has said once or twice you don't have to be an Australian you don't have to be crazy to enjoy our show although but, being crazy probably helps yeah it? it probably does help probably does help well, Grant, uh, you'd better, uh, I think you'd better have a nice uh, soothing glass of water, mate, and go back to bed. Uh, yes, I have a glass of water right beside me here. Um, I've already had a couple of recovery kit drinks, some electrolyte balancing uh, drinks that were really, really handy this morning. <laughs> and uh, I think I'm going to leave the bottle of Jeremiah weed in the freezer for a little bit longer this time. Well, uh, wishing everybody a, a very healthy and successful and prosperous uh, 2013. Let's hope it's a fantastic year for all of our listeners. Until next week, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant. Grant McCarran. 